Hello everyone. My name is Susan Lamarco and I'm the Executive Officer of the School Library Association of Victoria. Welcome to SLAB's second reading forum for 2022 entitled Exploring Verse. I'd like to formally and respectfully begin the event by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I am today, the Wurundjeri Willam people, one of the five tribes of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners of this land. I would also like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and those with us here today and specifically acknowledge the important role of story in the history and the lives of the traditional owners of this land. We have a very full and exciting program of speakers for this event and we may have one speaker with us a little bit later so we're going to change our order slightly and we're going to be exploring the wonderful world of verse novels for all ages. This event has been created as a webinar so only the presenters will actually be on the screen. Attendees cannot turn on their cameras or their microphones. You can certainly write questions in the chat and we'll address them at whatever point seems most appropriate. Possibly we'll interrupt the speakers, otherwise we'll wait until the end or they might be able to answer your questions in the chat. We are recording this forum and we'll make a link available to all participants. Uh, we will also be creating an audio version um, for SLAB's podcast channel and we have created a Padlet for this session and encourage all participants uh, to add items on our topics to this space. That's anyone. You're all very welcome to add anything you like that you feel might help all of us explore the world of verse novels better. And I will put that uh, link to the Padlet in the chat later on. But it was in all of your documentation, all of the reminders that you will have received about this event. So we're going to alter our order slightly and start with our wonderful school practitioner because Kelsey volunteered. So it's my um, pleasure to welcome Kelsey Peterson um, to begin our, our, uh, our forum this afternoon. Kelsey is a school librarian in the St Andrews End Library at Brighton Grammar School and we're going to hear today her views and experiences from the school library perspective on using verse novels. Welcome Kelsey. Thank you, Susan. I'm going to hopefully get my PowerPoint going here. All right. Is that looking good here? Okay, good. Before I begin, I would like to acknowledge that I am speaking to you from the country of the people of the Kulin Nation. And I would like to honor the sovereignty and connection to country of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and pay respect to their traditional custodians and elders, past, present, and emerging. This evening, I am planning to address four topics related to verse novels for school libraries. What is a verse novel? Why are verse novels important for school libraries? Which readers will enjoy verse novels? and which verse novels are best for school library collections. Oh, what is a verse novel? A verse novel is comprised of a series of poems that tell one continuing story. In this way, they are distinct from a poetry collection, which may have poems centered around a shared theme, but lacks the story arc of a novel in verse. Verse novels are also a literary form, not a genre. In fact, verse novels can come in many popular genres, including historical fiction, contemporary realistic fiction, dystopian fiction, and romance. 
So let's look at some typical features of first novels. They usually have a first person present tense narrative. Typically they're written in free verse, which is an open poetic form that isn't defined by rhyme or meter. Each poem or section is usually less than a page in length and rarely more than two or three pages. And there are significantly fewer words on the page than a regular prose novel, sometimes up to, up to as many as half the number of words, which means lots more white space in a verse novel, both literal and metaphorical. And I will explain what I mean by that a little bit later. Now that we know what a verse novel is, why are verse novels important for school libraries? There are three specific reasons that I want to highlight here. The first is that they can be an accessible introduction or gateway to formal poetry. Unfortunately, as we know, kids can often be intimidated by traditional poetry. Maybe it's because the format looks unfamiliar or they're discouraged by the focus in English class on interpreting or understanding the poem. A verse novel provides an alternative way to experience poetry. The format of a novel is probably more familiar to most students, and the focus in reading a verse novel is to follow the story arc rather than analyze each specific poem, which can make it less intimidating. Because of the greater accessibility of verse novels, they can be a great way to introduce students to formal poetry and language analysis. Another great reason to have verse novels in your school library is to promote diversity and representation in your collection. The subject matter of verse novels for children and young adults presents a wealth of diverse voices and experiences. And the format itself is particularly suited to conveying powerful messages about different cultures, religions, and identities. Because they can explain this more eloquently than I can, I have quotes from two library practitioners here. The first states that verse novels, first person narrative and lyrical style draws readers into the life of the protagonist, transporting them into other cultures, family situations, and backgrounds. The second says that the stories explored in diverse literature are not meant to be understood they are meant to be felt, and verse novels help children of all ages feel the experience. My final point about the benefits of having verse novels in school libraries is that they can help build empathy in our students through emotional engagement with the stories. If you've been in the field of education or librarianship for very long, You've probably heard about the research which shows that reading fiction can increase empathy in readers. Psychologist William Chopik says that fiction serves as a playground for exercising empathic skills. I think that the verse novel format can actually be more effective than prose fiction at this empathy building process because of the psychological immediacy readers experience with the characters. Ellen Hopkins is a prolific and brilliant verse novelist who says that reading a novel in verse is like living the story rather than being told the story, or to think of it another way, 
it's like dipping into a stranger's diary. Verse novelist Sonia Soames says that with verse novels, readers are called upon to fill in the emotional blanks with their own personal experiences of pain. These are all characteristics of verse novels that can help with building our students' sense of empathy. The next question that I would like to look at is, which readers will enjoy verse novels? Of course, the correct answer is all readers. I love that photo of the kids enjoying their book. It might be a verse novel, but probably not. There are two specific groups of readers, though, that I want to highlight here. First of all, Many practitioners have found that verse novels can be more accessible for reluctant readers, struggling or striving readers, and even dyslexic readers. A lot of this has to do with the accessible physical layout of verse novels, including up to half the number of words on the page, short phrases or lines, section breaks, and lots of white space. Due to these layout features, Reluctant or striving readers can actually finish an entire novel in one night, which promotes their sense of fluency and competence. But the best part is that on the outside, they look just like a regular novel. And to illustrate this point, I've included photos of two covers of Stephen Herrick's books for children. The novel on the top is a prose novel, and the novel on the bottom is a verse novel. And there's you really can't tell them apart. However, open them up. And to illustrate the layout differences, I scanned two pages from each of these novels. And you can see how the white space in the verse novel looks much more open and less intimidating for readers who might worry about navigating large chunks of text. Um, if you're interested, I've included some quotes from practitioners about using verse novels for reluctant readers that you can take a look at later. As Susan mentioned, this will be um, posted to the Padlet and sent out to all attendees. The second group of readers that I think will particularly benefit from verse novels is our engaged or advanced readers. We've just looked at how the physical white space on the pages of a verse novel can be a support for reluctant readers. And verse novels also challenge engaged readers to interact with the metaphorical white space in the text. What I mean by the metaphorical white space is that verse novels lack the detailed background information provided in a prose text. So students must use key reading skills to assign meaning to the text. Some of these key reading skills are inferencing and visualization, as well as imaginative speculation to fill in the gaps in the text. Or, as librarian Lisa Kroc puts it, the white space on the pages of a novel and verse can be thought of as a silence to be filled by the reader's imagination. And I actually just read a brand new article today from School Library Journal about verse novel, which had such a good quote, I had to, to put it into this presentation. 
In it, verse novelist Rajani Laraka explains that the white space gives readers more space to process what happens emotionally in the story. So difficult topics can be touched upon without exhausting the reader. And I just love this idea of the white space as a resting place for readers. I've included a poem here from Stephen Herrick's classic verse novel, The Simple Gift, which perfectly demonstrates how readers have to utilize those higher level reading skills like inferencing and visualization to deepen their understanding of the text. Champagne. It's the only time my school bag has come in handy. I tip my books, pens, jumper out on my bed, shake yesterday's sandwich sloshed from the bottom of the bag. I go to the kitchen, take the beer, last night's leftovers, some glossy red apples, dad's champagne and cigarettes, load my school bag my traveling back, leave the bottle of lemonade on the table with a note. See ya, dad, I've taken the alcohol. Drink this instead to celebrate your son leaving home. The old so-and-so will have a fit and me, I'll be long gone. That is actually the first poem in this verse novel. And we use this text at year eight at our school and Every time that I read this poem, I'm sort of amazed by the amount of inferencing that readers have to do to get to the bottom of what's happening. Who is this boy? Why is he running away from home? What's his relationship like with his dad? And there's so much here just in this one little tiny poem. Um, the final point that I wanted to discuss tonight is what verse novels would be best for school library collections. I've put together three lists of verse novels that I've read and recommend for various age groups. And I selected them using the following criteria. I had to place limits on myself because otherwise the list would be hundreds of titles long. So I limited it to 10 to 12 titles per age category one title per author per age category. I wanted to include a diverse range of topics, narrators, themes, and cultures. And to make it practical for librarians, I wanted the title to be in stock at Australian online bookshops. So this is my list for averse novels recommended for primary school libraries. Please don't feel like you have to take this all in right now. This will be on the Padlet as Susan mentioned. So I'm just showing it to you. Um, I have included works from some of our special writer guests here that I think are particularly good. This is my list of verse novels for that transitional age of upper primary to, low, to lower secondary. If you work with students at this age group, I'd recommend looking at both the primary and this list because you know your students and you know the way that um, what types of text will be best for them. And then finally, I have a list of young adult novels, which are most appropriate for the upper secondary level. I wanted to leave you with a quote from poet Julie Fagliano, which was published in the New York Times in 2018. For me, this sums up the potential impact of our work introducing students to poetry and verse novels. 
By sharing poetry with young people, we are holding a seashell up to their ears. We are giving them an entire ocean of voices, of experiences and possibilities in a tiny but beautiful package. Sometimes those voices might seem far off and hard to decipher. Other times they might sound like home. I've included here my email address because I would love to hear from you with any questions or comments or to let me know about first novels that I've left out of my list. I'm sure there are some that I've missed. And in case you want to read more about the topic, I've also included my bibliography of sources that I referred to. I did include some links to those articles. Thank you. Thank you, Kelsey. That was fantastic. What a lovely opening for our day. And you shared some really interesting things with us. So thank you very much. And it is very generous of you to put all of that on the Padlet too. Okay, so I think what we're going to do is we're going to swap um, Ruth with, uh, so, so that my speakers know what's going on. We'll, we'll swap Ruth with Kelsey. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue um, with the order we had before. So I'd now like to welcome um, to the screen our first creator, Catherine Appel. Catherine is a born and bred farm girl who's scared of cows. I don't believe that. Um, she lives among the gum trees, kangaroos and cattle on a Queensland grazing property. A trained teacher and literacy consultant, she shares her passion for words and schools and fest sorry for words at schools and festivals around the globe. She's probably spending her life online, I gather. Cat so, <laughs> is the author of four verse novels, um, which many of you will be very aware of, I'm sure, and love very much, including her most recent What Stale, What Snail Knows. I knew I'd get that wrong. <laughs> what Snail Knows. Welcome, Kat. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am scared of cows. You just have to ask my husband and he will back that up. So, um, I've often thought that as a poet, I, I am a combination of a bodybuilder, a topiary artist and a clown. And that's especially true when writing verse novels. Every word is weighted. Every word. So you're building writing muscle. For each word on the page, um, a multitude of words have been pruned out, yet verse novels surprise and delight with wordplay and poetic twists. Verse novels with, deal with issues that have a lot of heart, and we've covered that already. They have humour and laughter too, but I think the raw emotions are key. Because they're often written in first person, and because they're distilled words, you climb right inside the characters' hearts both as a writer and a reader. Their heartaches become your tears, their in insecurities become your introspections and their achievements become your joy. To be honest, writing a novel without verse scares me. It seems so enormous. But I can write short, complete pieces, individual poems that slowly, carefully, bit by bit, build to tell a complete story. And I think that there is reason enough to give children the opportunity to brick by brick, poem by poem, tell their story through their verse also. Because perhaps there are kids in your classrooms who are overwhelmed when writing stories, but like me, could find short, would find short 
bites of poetry achievable. So we've already talked a lot about the why read them and, and I'm going to back, double up on some of that. I hope that means that I'm backing it up. In terms of reader appeal, I would say that verse novels are a paradox. They appeal to kids who struggle with words on the page, but also to sophisticated readers. There is often more white space than words, and that makes for a clean, clear read, while the layout helps pace the poem and enhance the meaning. And I'm often amazed when I am on school visits and whatnot, that when I get kids to read my poetry, it's like they're reading in my head because of the layout of the words on the page. Um, but that doesn't dumb the reading down. Being more about emotions than details, verse novels move the story along at a swift pace um, and, and they are often very visual in a sense. The words are the illustrations and that often opens up to a whole new realm of visual literacy with hidden layers to the text. Kids love to discover little tricks scattered through the pages. So they're enabling whilst also engaging. And I think of them as a treasure hunt in book form. And that's something I think that we can all enjoy. I'm notorious for not putting enough description of character appearances in my verse novels, certainly in my early drafts. Um, perhaps because I also write picture books, but I'm, and I'm leaving, you know, used to leaving room for the illustrator. But to a large degree, I think it's because to me, the heart of the story is in the emotions, and that's so much more important to me than what a character looks like. I don't even think of that when I'm writing my story initially. Sometimes kids see poems and are hesitant to read further. I suspect frequent analysis of poetry make it, make it, makes it seem arduous when really poetry is so much fun and that's something I for sure try to share with kids and with teachers when I'm doing author talks. Of late though, the verse novel form is becoming not just more recognisable but also more desirable and here we are talking about it today which is a statement to that. But if you have kids, who've had a bad experience with poetry, be aware that some kids will pick up a verse novel, look at it and put it down again because they see poetry and, oh, I don't like poetry. So the first time your reader encounters a verse novel, it might be not necessary to introduce it with a shared reading. Maybe lightly discuss word placement on the page, look for pictures in words, talk about rule breakers or how the book is making them feel. When they're engaged, you can step back and let them take over the reading or continue reading it together. So often kids say that they forget a book is a verse novel and are just swept away by the story. Sometimes they just can't turn the pages fast enough. Other times they want to dwell in the words on a page, walk away and savour the feelings they create. Um, or because the emotion, sometimes the emotions are too close and they need some space and some time to process them and then dip back in when they're ready. And I guess that's especially true for young readers. So if as a teacher you're reading with your kids and what, with, a, with your class, watch them and if it's a big issue thing, if they look like they're becoming a little bit caught up in the emotions, maybe that's time just to take a little break and go and do something different. So um, they could be read in an afternoon very often but so often kids 
choose to space them so that they can deal with the emotions as well. So in terms of, I wanted to talk about what Snail Knows because that's my most recent book. And I did actually, here we go, trying to share my screen here. Sorry, I'm on, propped up on milk crates in the middle of a hall. So that's why my screen wobbles sometimes. Um, this one, share. And have you got that? Okay. So what Snail Knows is a companion book to Too Many Friends, which was published in 2017 by UQP. And from Tani's perspective, Lucy is the quiet one who is always alone. And so you can see, um, whilst they are companion titles, you don't have to have read Too Many Friends to read what Snail knows. And you don't have to, there's no cliffhanger at the end of Too Many Friends that you have to read what Snail Knows. They are designed to be separate reads but connected reads. So then we go in and Secret Snail is there and it gives you a bit of an insight into um, Lucy's head. I'm just making sure I can read it there. Snail knows that I don't like always being a new kid, that I pretend I don't notice the whispers, sniffs and laughs when kids turn their backs on me that wearing someone else's faded old uniform and shoes with their stains and smells makes me want to crawl inside a shell and hide. So you sort of get the perspective of Tani seeing her there as someone who's quite quiet and always alone. But then we have Lucy and she's alone inside her shell for a reason. She's a little girl who lives with her dad. They move a lot. And that comes out throughout the course of the story as to why they move a lot. She's, they don't have much money. Sometimes they sleep in the car. And so she has learnt to put up a little layer around her to protect herself from those whispers, those sniffs and those laughs, but also from the pain of constantly having to uproot and move on again because they move so much. So with both of these verse novels, there we go. Um, so I just thought I'd bring a quick little thing in at looking at voice through verse in these two verse novels. So uh, on the left you can see too many friends. There's a poem from that one. On the right from What Snail Knows. And these two books are set in a classroom. So there's other characters who carry the story. And there are poems that are sort of set up like this that um, kids can actually, like Roxy, Michael, Ashton, Pia, Jack, Sarah, Heidi, Cody, not always Ella, that's a sister, and Lucy, they get to share their insights around a poem. In, um, let me go. So these poems usually are a series of one-line contributions from the kids in response to a topic. They're a succinct way to capture a moment and convey class dynamics. So from a teaching perspective, they also give an easily accessible lesson on voice and they're scattered throughout so that you can go and sort of pull them up on your big screen if you've got it there and just look at what those kids say each time and see if you get to um, know those characters. For example, Roxy, who is first in both of them, is an organiser and she's usually thinking about Roxy first. Jack is the jack in the box and I'm pretty sure if you've got a jack then they are going to be the kids who are up and down. They are the mischief makers. They often get themselves into strife because they, that's jack. That goes with the name. 
Cody is always talking up his dad, my dad. And because um, maybe then dad won't let him down so much. So these are the things that you can sort of pick up just in those short lines of verse. And I think that's so important that, that characters should have their own voice. I mean, you know, like that's, that's not a new thing. Um, and so those poems there each convey those voices. In fact, in Too Many Friends, Lucy's face was usually blank because she's more of a thinker and a feeler but not so much of a talker. And I did wonder how I was going to fill a book with Lucy's story because of this little girl who thinks so much. But actually it ended up being thicker than too many friends. So she found her voice and just quietly, gently shared that as we went. Um, so Lucy doesn't say much at all. And yes, she surprised me with how much she had to say. Lucy was inspired by a little girl I taught in my first year of teaching. They moved a lot and by year three she'd moved to over 30 schools. She was in my class for the shortest time, then gone. Her tidy tray of scant belongings left behind and I have never forgotten her. So this story is for those little Lucys who you will have in your classrooms, you'll know them. And it's also, so it's for them to know that they are seen and for their classmates to also look past what they initially see and get to know the little person underneath. And I didn't even look at my clock at the start, sorry. I need to stop sharing. I hope I didn't go over time because my clock disappeared, but I'm done with that, so thank you. No, not at all. You did perfectly well. Absolutely lovely. <laughs> and you must go and have a look in the chat because there's a whole lot of love over there for you and your wonderful books. Oh, that, was you. that was fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, please do go and read the chat because it'll, it'll, it'll make your heart <laughs> swell a little. Okay. We will move along while Kat's reading the lovely remarks in the chat about her. Um, Ruth, I hope you're okay there. Um, I'm not sure you've got your camera off, but we're going to go with you, I think. Ruth, can you hear me? Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. I'm not sure whether there's something wrong. Do you want me to go next? Uh, Zana, thank you very much. We might do that. She's, uh, I'm not sure where Ruth is at. She was here, but she seems to have gone again. Um, for those of you that aren't aware, Ruth seems to be having some internet connection issues. So it's possible we may have lost her again partially, but that would be fantastic if we move along. Thank you very much, Zana, and, um, and we'll come back. So let me see, let's introduce you properly. Our next guest is very well known to many of you, Zana Fralin, is an internationally acclaimed multi-award winning author of books for children and young adults. Her work has been published in over 15 countries and is in development for both stage and screen. Oh, how very exciting. She has degrees in history and teaching and is currently undertaking a PhD in creative writing at La Trobe University. Uh, Zana's latest work is The Way of Dog, and we look forward to hearing about that. Welcome, Zana. 
Thank you so much for having me. Um, before I begin, I'd just like to acknowledge uh, the traditional custodians of the land I live and work and the land I'm on at the moment, uh, which is the land of the Wurundjeri people, and I pay my respects to those elders past, present and emerging. Um, so The Way of Dog is my first verse novel, uh, and I hadn't planned on writing a verse novel. Um, I hadn't planned on writing this this book at all. In fact, I was sort of knee deep in a few other projects um, and didn't need something else to, to work on. Um, but Scruffity the dog uh, in my story came up to me, nudged my arm off the keyboard and demanded that, that his story be told uh, in no uncertain terms. So what can you do? Um, but it was really interesting. So when, when Scruffy came to me, his, his voice was in verse and it was just as I wrote it. Um, so that was the first reason I started looking at, at writing in verse. But it also enabled me to sense the world differently um, and to really focus on that dog's umvelt or that dog's point of view. Um, I liken it when I'm talking to, to kids, especially like uh, looking through a hagstone. So you know the, those, those rocks you find on the beach with a hole in them um, that said that if you look through them, you see the other world and the fairies and the magic. And I've always taken those and looked through it. What, what, you, what will I see? But what's amazing is that when you do look through them, the world does look different because everything is intensified because you're looking through such a, a small hole. Um, and so that's what it felt like for me writing verse. Um, because the form itself is so condensed, each verse is packed full of pure emotion. Um, and I think that's why um, verse novels seem to linger in your mind for a long time after you've read them. Uh, and I know this is true of, of me reading verse novels and also um, lots of kids as well. They, you know, the kids who I do workshops with and um, in schools, and I was a, a teacher and an integration aide before I did writing. Um, and verse novels do seem to stay with you for a long time. Um, and I think it's partly because, you know, perhaps they, they operate in that emotional part of your mind um, and they allow the reader to engage with uh, the visual properties, the text on the page more than standard prose novels do. Um, when I was an integration aide, uh, we went to a slam poetry um, event. It was, it was an amazing event, but uh, what was really incredible about it was seeing disengaged kids finding their voices um, and seeing reluctant readers suddenly keen to approach the page because the page was no longer intimidating, um, as, as the other speakers mentioned as well. But it was it was a really powerful moment and I remember sitting back and watching these kids I'd been working with suddenly excited about words in a way they hadn't been before. And it was just incredibly powerful. Um, and I do come from a sort of a spoken word background. When I was uh, a kid, my parents used to take me to um, spoken word events and at the time, you know, I wasn't very impressed, but um, I remember, you know, I couldn't really understand the, the poetry, not all of it at least, but there was something about the rhythm that really spoke to me. And I remember being lulled by the rhythms of the voices and by these, these, these poems that were being read. Um, it was almost like listening to a foreign language and, and hearing the music in it. So even though I, I wasn't really sure what the words were, were saying or what they meant, the, the rhythm of it and the musicality of it was something that really spoke to me. So um, this, the Scruffity's voice and writing in verse felt very natural to write. Um, I would get into the rhythm of writing much in the same way that if you're, if you're swimming and you get into the rhythm of swimming and suddenly there's no resistance in the water anymore uh, when you find that rhythm. And that's, that's what it felt like writing this book. Um, 
Uh, I'm probably also going to repeat some of the things that have already been said because when I was going through dot points of you know why I wrote in verse, these these were the reasons. But um, I love that that verse novel uses imagery in, in much the same way that poetry does. But for me, I feel uh, more specifically, it uses imagery in the same way that graphic novels do. So that it gives the reader a single, sometimes static image and allows the reader to create meaning and build connections intuitively that extend beyond what is written on the page. Um, I love how the page itself is used to create me meaning, as we spoke about earlier, the, the white space in particular. Um, and it's used to create pause, to raise tension, to allow the reader time to imagine, um, to take a breath and allow also connections to form in a way that, that prose novel doesn't allow. Uh, and when I was writing The Way of Dog, what I was trying to attend to was what I found most exciting and arresting in poetry and in picture books, which I, I love writing. Um, and that's that silence that can surround words, that can hold words and that gives them greater meaning um, and engages the reader as an active collaborator in the meaning making process. Also, I love playing with, with the text and the way the text is positioned on the page um, also changes the way that the words are read and allows the books themselves to become artifacts, which I love. I love books as artifacts um, and also to contribute to the meaning making. Uh, and an exercise I often do with students is to give them a piece of writing or get them to use a, a piece of their own writing, and this works equally well with fiction and nonfiction, uh, and then to rearrange it, not by adding any words or taking any words out, but simply by using the white space and using text design and see how it changes the meaning of the piece. Um, see how it changes what the reader notices, what is emphasized, what's created in that space you've now opened up. Um, and how the, the, the white space and the text design can change the feel of the words and can, can give weight to words and direct attention. And perhaps what I love most about it is how you can juxtapose ideas in this way without directly saying so in words. Um, so if you have a, a character saying uh, how confident they are feeling, but if that statement is written in tiny little words at the bottom of the page, then you've suddenly given the words meaning and emotion that suggests that what the word's saying might not be true, it might not be the whole picture. Uh, and in the same way that the best picture books need both text and pictures to create meaning, and the pictures show something that the text isn't, in a verse novel, the reader creates this understanding simply by relating to the way the text is formatted on the page. It's, it's quite magical, I think. Um, sound and playfulness and the malleability of language is something that I love playing with as an author, and I do this in, in all my work, but it's really, used, I, I certainly really used it a lot um, when writing The Way of Dog. Um, and I think that's something which is almost subconsciously soaked up by the reader um, when you read poetry and verse novels. Um, because in verse novels, it's, it's not just about the meaning of the words, it's about the feel on the tongue of the words, about how your mouth holds them, how a different word that carries the same meaning can feel so different in your mouth that it changes the, the whole feel of the verse itself. Um, and it relates also to the to the rhythm inherent in verse novels. And there's the there's the rhythm at the individual word level, then at the sentence level, and at the at the at the verse level, and then the rhythm across the whole work as well. Um, it's sort of a bit like putting together a, a set list of bands and songs for a gig to be played at a concert. You know, all these little bits of um, pieces of the puddle, puzzle that have to work together. Um, and it's, you have to do this much more so than in prose novels where you can, you know, it's much easier. You can elaborate, you can draw connections across chapters, you can do info dumps and, and fill in gaps and explain things when you need to. But in a verse novel, because the text is so spare, you don't have the room to do that. So it requires the author to pay more attention. 
um, and to really polish each word, which is something I love doing. Um, I, I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself. Um, so I think I think one of the things I really love um, with both picture book writing and verse novel is that working working with the words on a on a singular word level and making sure every word is is working as hard as it possibly can, and that each word is the exactly right word for that sentence. Um, I've become quite obsessed with etymology apps as well as power thesaurus, um, which was very useful when it when it came to writing the way of dog. Um, but I think what I really love with first novels is you can bring each chapter down to a single poem and you can work on that without being distracted by the story arc and the plotting mechanisms of a more wordy prose text. Um, finally, I think first novels are, are sort of like liminal beings. Um, they hover between boundaries, between prose and poetry, between novel and graphic novel, between imagery and story. They defy easy labels and categorization. They're porous and shape-shifting, and they open up this creative imaginative space for us as readers, pushing us to pay greater attention to ourselves and to the world around us, and to really recognize those small moments, the raw emotion, the world intensified, the white space of silence that can hold us, and the liminality that exists everywhere. They ask us to pay attention to those voices that exist in the shadows and in the gaps between what is said. Uh, and I think it's in those pauses and silences and gaps that allow us to really connect uh, with our subconscious, with, with the collective unconscious um, and our own imagination. And they become something much larger than uh, an author could ever do on their own. So I'm completely hooked um, and I'll be writing more of this novels because I just, I love it as a form. It's great. Thank you. <laughs> oh dear. Um, wow. <laughs> That was amazing. Thank you very much. Um, your love and passion really shines through. It's uh, it's contagious, actually. I feel like I'm on the screen with a, with a, with some word geniuses here. I, I really do. Um, thank you so very much. That was excellent. And I I, I just want to run out and and buy your book. Um, now everyone is saying fantastic things in the chat, and it appears that you've made them all cry as well. So <laughs> this is. This is the happiest of all my books. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm, I'm working my way up slowly. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Zana. That was just wonderful. So we're doing very well here this afternoon, everybody. Um, I think we truly are blessed. So many fantastic speakers. So thank you to all of you. But we will keep moving along. And, and please do go and read the chat, Zana, because everyone's writing such nice things there. Now, we might try it now. Ruth has been having some troubles with her connection. So I think we might try and see. Ruth, can you hear me? It's very difficult. Yes. Are you sure you don't have something on twice or no? Actually, you are logged in twice. Can you, can you hear me now? Hold on. I'm going to try and get rid of you because <laughs> you're in twice. Hold on a second. I just need to get rid of one of you. Um, Connection is terrible. It's dropping in and out all the time. Okay. Now I've got rid of I've got rid of the second Ruth. So Ruth, are you here? Can you hear me? Oh. 
with your hold on you're muted Ruth no look I think what we're going to do Ruth I'm, I'm hope you can hear me I think we might move on um, Sally has actually volunteered to perhaps say a few words, Ruth, on, behalf, on behalf of the centre. So I think we might do that because I feel like this is possibly not going to work due to your connection. I'm so sorry. Um, so what we're going to do and, um, is, uh, is we'll, we'll move over to Sally. And, uh, and I know that um, Sally won't mind saying a few words about the, the centre's uh, resource. So. I'm so sorry, everybody, about that. I mean, every now and then something just does go wrong for us, and this hasn't really quite worked out with Ruth. So our last wonderful speaker for the afternoon is Sally Murphy. Sally is a verse novelist, educator, and academic who is passionate about the verse novel and poetry in all its forms. The four verse novels include Worse Things and Pearl Versus the World, and she has another publication on the way. How lucky are we? Welcome, Sally. Thank you. I just had this terrible moment where I thought I was sharing my slides and I wasn't, and I thought, oh, no. But I remember I've got to press this button first. So bear with me. And hopefully, can you see my slides? Uh, Not yet. Oh, now we, have, now now we can. can. They're just That's opening. Cool. Can you tell that I'm an educator and I work online on a daily basis? <laughs> You'll just need to put it into presentation. So, so from the beginning, and we'll be off. From the beginning, that's better. That's better. Okay, excellent. And we won't worry about that. My my title slide. So, um, look, I will come back and talk about the first novel resource at the end because I actually think that will be a really nice way to finish up. And if Ruth is back on by then, well, we can we can throw over to Ruth. So, um. Yeah, I've written four verse novels that have been published. I've written another one that's coming out next year. And I was having a laugh yesterday because the one that's coming out next year um, is partly written from the perspective of a cat. And I feel like, you know, someone might turn around and say, oh, you know, you're copying Zana. So I just want to reassure Zana that, I, that I'm not copying. Um, but it did take a long time to convince my publisher that it was okay to write from the perspective of an animal. So I'm delighted about the dog and cannot wait to read it. Um, so I came to first novels um, in 2001 as an absolute novice. So I ran a review site called Aussie Reviews and I got three books, which was wonderful. And this book turned up in my mail and went into my review pile and I knew Margaret Wilde's picture books and I loved her work. And I thought, well, she's written something for young adults. And I opened it and the front cover suggested it was a young adult novel. The blurb suggested it was a young adult novel. And then I opened it and it was poetry. And my first response was, oh, it's a, it's a collection of poetry. And I really was quite confused about what to do with it. And so I, I did what you would expect and I read it. And it didn't take me long to fall in love with Jinx and with the verse novel form, even though in, in, that, in those first moments, I didn't know that what a verse novel was. I didn't know there was a name for what I was reading. 
so I went off and I, you know, I'd researched and I um, went looking for more novels like that. And of course, I came to Stephen Herrick and then on to Cheryl Clark. And then I realised that it wasn't just Australians, but um, I'm a little bit biased and I mostly do read Australian works. So uh, Catherine Bateson. And I knew that I had found the form for me, but I also was terrified that I would get it wrong. So I thought that at some point I would stumble across a how-to book or a course or a workshop, something that was going to tell me how to do this. And um, there just there wasn't one. And so I had in the back of my mind, one day I'm going to write um, something like that. And um, then this thing happened. And the thing that happened was that Pearl versus the World appeared in my mind and I started writing this book and it became a verse novel. And I went, okay, but I still don't know what I'm doing. Um, and uh, 13 years later, I still don't know what I'm doing, but I have a lot of fun doing it. And I've become okay with not knowing because that's part of the joy of writing a verse novel is working out how to piece it together, how to put it together. So I, I sort of, um, I often put the term accidental in front of the things I do. I'm an accidental verse novel in terms of, you know, I, I don't understand what I do. I just do it. But um, I absolutely love what I do. And the, the reason I love verse novels, both as a creator and as an educator and as a reader myself, those reasons overlap. Um, so the number one thing I love about verse novels is that they are poetry. And, you know, we've touched a few times today about the fact that um, readers can be confronted by poetry. And I gave just gave an example of myself. I opened Jinx. I went, oh, I don't know what to do with this. And so then I read it. But my own experiences with poetry um, as a child were that when I found poetry, I was delighted. I wanted to, to delve into poetry. My earliest reading memories are of uh, my mother sharing poetry with me and then me discovering that I could read those poems for myself because of the repetition. Um, and all through school, I loved when we did poetry, you know, when we read poetry, when we performed poetry, and when we had the opportunity to write poetry. And so for me, the time that I was first really confronted by, by poetry was in high school when suddenly I was told there were layers and I had to find the meaning and I had to sort of untangle what poetry did. So it wasn't that I didn't love poetry, it was that I didn't love feeling like I, that there was this mystery. And so I think one of the great things about a verse novel is that it's, it's accessible, it's poetry at its most accessible. It's something that and you know every reader can find something in, and therefore we can you know recapture that absolute joy of poetry. And a few years ago, I thought it would be a really good idea to do a doctorate in children's poetry. Um, and the most exciting thing in that um, course of my study was actually finding a little bit of scientific evidence about why we love poetry. And um, there's this, and I won't go into the long, boring details, but um, there's an FRMI study, which is um, brain 
magnetic resonance, yeah, a very technical term. Um, but what they did was they hooked people up to scanners and they got them to read prose and then they got them to read poetry. And what they found was that the brain activation happening when people read poetry was a physical, uh, visceral sensation. And that that was different than when those same people read prose, even prose that they were familiar with and loved did not produce the same sensation. So this brain activation that's happening is a physical sensation and it makes us feel good. And that's why I think that we feel good even when we're reading, you know, really sad verse novels. It's we are empathising, we are living that experience and, it's, you know, it's such a wonderful sensation. So number one, it's poetry and it's, you know, it does all of those things. The second thing that I love about verse novels is the depth of a verse novel. So it's wrapped up in seeming simplicity and a couple of speakers have already talked about that that white space and the fact that we open a verse novel and we see the white space and it's non-threatening and it looks simple but it's actually very deep so we can dive sorry dive deep and um as creators we can go to really deep places but for the reader it's quite accessible so i think you know that that um, appeal there for so many different people. The diversity of topics I think is really, really important that um, although um, I get really scared because people say that I write not, I write sad stories and I get worried about that because I don't want to make people cry even though I'm quite good at making people cry um, even in my day job. Um, so I think in spite of that, there are some verse novels that are humorous, that are light, that are, you know, just about joy. And then there are some that go to really, really dark spaces. And some novels do that in the same book. Um, the most recent verse novel I've read is called White Rose, and it's set in Nazi Germany um, from the perspective of a young university student who was trying to undermine the Reich. So she was German herself. She saw what was happening and she went out and, you know, and protested. Um, and that's a really dark topic. That's a, and, and the way that it starts, it leaves you in no doubt of how, just how dark it's going to get. And I think when I read that book, I still smiled. So it, that, that, you know, we can go dark but we can also have this light experience in the same book. Um, the, the next one on my list is broad appeal. And um, one of the things about going last is you sit here and you go, yep, that's what I'm gonna say. And that's really good because that means we're singing the same song. So um, the white space means that those reluctant and striving readers open a verse novel and they go, oh, that's not particularly challenging. There's pictures, there's white space, there's not a lot to read. Something that's happened to me quite a lot is I'll have children say to me, um, but why do you set it out like that? So they don't actually always know that it's poetry and I'm okay with that. I'm particularly okay with that on a first read because I think if we get them hooked, 
and then we tell them it's poetry, that's poetry by stealth. Um, and, you know, we do poetry however we can do it. Um, interestingly, I once had a teacher who had read the whole book to her class ask me why I set it out like that. And I was a little bit concerned about that because um, it was Pearl versus the World and it's there in the title as well as actually in what happens in the book. Um, so I was a little bit concerned she hadn't recognised it as poetry, but um, still okay with that because it's poetry by stealth. So, um, you know, it can appeal on that level, but then for our, our striving reader, our deeply engaged reader, when they open a verse novel and they go, uh-huh, poetry, um, we're catering and for them as well in a way that can take them wherever they want to go. That's not to say that for our reluctant reader, they won't go to those depths. So I don't want it to say, oh, it's at this level for the, for the you know, struggling reader and it's at this level for the striving reader because I actually think they can both go to those depths with a verse novel and I think that's the appeal. Um, you know, if you are using novels in the classroom, one of your challenges is always to find something that will cater for everybody. And here we've got a novel that will do that. We've also got for the child who doesn't get to read, you know, whole novels, the fact that they can pick up a book that's this fat and, and no one has to know that it's got less, 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 fewer words. Um, the multiple perspectives, this was something that I, um, saw in the verse novels I read but didn't experiment with until um, book four and that is that ability to bring in multiple viewpoints in the one um, book. Now I know that we can do that in prose fiction as well. Usually in prose fiction it's sort of alternating chapters. One of the things I absolutely love about verse novels is that we can have verse novels with a cast of characters um, and, you know, Stephen Herrick particularly does that very, very well where he has, you know, a whole class and they all say things and Kat does it as well very well, you know, and we get then that insight where we can dive deep into empathising not just with one character but with multiple characters. And so when we are in those challenging situations, we can see how it plays out for different characters. And it's fun to write. It's really fun to head hop as a writer. Um, and you know, we, in prose, we get told off for head hopping. In poetry, it's seen as multiple perspectives. Um, and that, I suppose, leads into my last thing on this list, which is room to play. Writing verse novels is a huge amount of fun. And um, when Zana was saying that about, you know, putting the pieces together, I was sitting here because that's what it's like. and um, I've found in my last couple that I've written where I've been playing with multiple voice, uh, yeah, multiple voices, is that it's been a lot of a lot less linear in terms of writing. So I haven't started at the beginning and got to the end. I've played with one character and then I've come back and layered in another character and I've come back and layered in a third character. And it's a really fun way to write. And for those of you who've read worse things, the final thing, one of the final things I did was worked out that I had these couple of definition poems in there and I could put more in. And it was doing that that brought the whole novel together. So those definition poems were really important to me. It just took me a while to realise that. So I think this, this next slide is kind of covered by what we've said about readers, but um, I've, I've got letters. And I think it's really fun to look at what readers think about verse novels. So 
I will um, put a little rider on here that it looks like I get hundreds of letters from all around Australia, but in actual fact, I get hundreds of letters from one school that studies all my novels every year. And um, before COVID, I used to get to go to Townsville every year and visit this school, which was also lovely. But um, the students uh, in this year six, this particular school, every student does an um, author study of me, which I think is kind of cool, but also scary. And um, they have to write to me. And so I get lots of things about, I love how you use similes, for example, which is obviously one of the things they've got to tick off their list. But they also pour out their heart. So these three um, letters are some of my favourites as to why they loved. And in this case, it is all um, Pearl versus the world. So this student says, um, I love how you have written this book. And it is about a real life situation when you lose someone in your family that was important to you. It's very depressing. And I know how Pearl felt because I was very upset when my dad told me my Nana passed away. I had to go to the memorial and it made me grieve. I have felt what Pearl went through and it was not pleasant. I enjoyed how your story's in first person because you feel you are Pearl going on an emotional roller coaster full of surprises. So there's that, that reader who's really connected with that grief they've empathised, they've seen themselves there, they've seen themselves reflected. The second student also saw themselves reflected in quite a different way. Same novel, different child. It's a wonderful verse novel. It's a happy, sad, sad text, which made me laugh and also cry. I had a few personal connections. Pearl's description of the principal. Sometimes she speaks at assemblies. Blah, blah, lunchroom, blah, blah, sports equipment, blah, 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 reminds me of assemblies on Monday afternoon back to the students. No one wants to sit outside in the dreaded heat and listen to the principal's random talk that doesn't interest anyone. I can also relate to there's no nicer noise than the, end, the bell at the end of the day because everyone wants to go home and play video games or relax. So this student you know, coming in at that humorous level and connecting in that way. So, you know, I love that two students, same book, such different reactions. And just bear with me, because this one is the one that actually is my absolute favorite letter ever. And this is why I do what I do. Um, I won't, I, I kind of would like to show you the spelling in this one because nearly every word is spelt incorrectly. And that actually is what makes it so special. Dear Sally Murphy, I'm writing to tell you that the book was good. It is the only big book that I have read and the only one that I finish. Your story was sad and funny. I know how it feels to lose someone close and it's hard to let go of them. I had a connection. My favourite part is when she's trying to think things that rhyme for the poem. And I am all the same with losing someone. When I'm at school, I think about home so much I get hungry, trying to rhyme. Sometimes I'm alone looking for something to do. Miss Brodie will also get angry if I don't do my work. I love this. It makes me cry because students had never read a book before. They read mine and they found themselves in there. And what I hope isn't that they then stopped and went, okay, I've read a book now. Fixed. That's it. What I really hope is that they went to the wonderful library in that school and they picked up verse novels by all the other wonderful verse novelists and that they continued their journey.
So it really isn't all about me. So I'm going to finish very briefly by saying um, first novels make wonderful mentor texts. So if you are thinking, what can I do with them in my classroom? Of course, you can read them and we've all given you some insights there, but you can also use them for writing. So from Worst Things, which is my latest first novel, um, I've put a little PowerPoint up on um, the Padlet today, which actually um, is a series of slides, but it also has me speaking. And I'll confess, I was asked to do a writing workshop um, running for eight minutes for something a couple of years ago. And I recorded this PowerPoint and I, I didn't use it because I thought, oh, it's terrible. And then I watched it the other day and I thought, oh, actually not that bad. So you're getting it first. Um, but it just talks through how to write an apology poem, uh, sorry, a definition poem, which also is an exercise I put in. Um, I wrote a book about how to teach poetry. The other one is that in Worst Things, the three characters are quite distinct, but they all talk about the town of Cowan. And so they each write a poem about what Cowan means to them. And they're scattered through the book, which means that you get them, you know, coming up at the points that are key for those characters, but also make for wonderful mentor text for students to write their own town poems. So the pages, page numbers are there for you should you be interested in doing that. So there's much worse things than you can do than have verse novels in your class library. Um, and, you know, we've given you an overview of our three today, but this is a wonderful segue. Did we get um, Ruth back? Um, no, we didn't, Sally. So we will, um, I, I would love it if we can talk about that. Do you want to begin that conversation or how are we how yes, are we? I'm just to going to stop sharing the bit about me. Um, so I will just give a brief overview. I was going to try and switch to Ruth's PowerPoint and I'm terrified of doing that because um, you've all seen how wonderful I am with technology. But look, the, the first novel um, resource came about, and um, I've, I've seen Ruth's PowerPoint and it very kindly said that it was all my idea. And I'm not, I feel like it was much more of a communal idea than that, but it was certainly um, the, uh, the centre has a range of resources and bibliographies, you know, themed and some wonderful resources for teachers and librarians. And um, I noticed through Twitter that um, every time I said anything remotely clever, that Belle Alderman would retweet me. And she's such a wonderful supporter. And we started a bit of a conversation and Kat was in it as well. And it was like, you know, we could do something like what you're doing, but for first novels. And so it grew from a sort of a, I sort of had imagined originally that we might just make a list of all the first novels that were published in Australia. And it's become a really rich, rich resource. And so um, between the four of us, so Belle, Ruth, Kat and myself, we read, um, we first of all have to try and identify every verse novel that have been published in Australia for children and young adults up to that point. Then we read them all. And so the database, uh, the resource, I get in trouble for calling it a database, um, mm -hmm. which is just me switching, switching codes. But it, it what it gives for each first novel that we could identify that had been published in Australia for children, young adults. And there's a few in there that maybe were not strictly published for young adults, um, yeah, that may have been published with an adult audience in mind, but are suitable for young adults. 
And um, so for each one, there is um, an overview of the book. There's curriculum links. There's links to online sources such as, um, you know, reviews, teaching notes. Um, you can also search it via keywords. So you can actually, you know, if you're really looking for one on bullying, you could search bullying and you would find some great books, including one of Kat, um, including you know, some of Stephen's. And um, you'd be able to then build up your know, unit of work around several of them. And look, I see it as being really, really useful for teachers and educators, but I think it also has a really good use for readers. Because when we started this project, I thought I'd read them all. I, honestly, I was, you know, I just thought, no, I've read every verse novel in Australia ever published. I know them all. This is great. And I think I ended up um, my, my book um, list. My budget is always going over because I buy them all. Um, you know, there are 63, I think, at last count, and um, it's growing because um, we've had two new ones come out in the last month. And what the aim is it will constantly be updated um, so that if you are looking for a verse novel, you can go there. But if you're just looking for a novel, you can also go there, um, find what's there, dig around for some of the ones that are more obscure. Um, because there are some wonderful ones. Um, for example, there were a couple from a series, and this is not prepared, so I haven't got the names of them in front of me. It's a couple from a series that Oxford Books brought out uh, by First Nations writers, and I had not read those before, but um, I think they're really excellent, and you know we need we need that diverse representation in our libraries, in our classrooms, and so I was really excited that we could complement the ones that um, that we knew about with ones we didn't know about. So my recommendation is go and look at it, browse it, play with it. If there's something that you think can be improved about it, um, you know, let us know because it, you know, it, it is, a, um, it can evolve further, I suppose is the point. And that's probably enough for me. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Sally. That's a fantastic overview. So just to explain to those that are watching, you may recall that Ruth Nitschke, who is our guest speaker, that was going to talk to us about the National Centre for Australian Children's Literature, best novel resource. She's the one that's having the internet connection issues and won't be able to join us. So Sally's just given us a great overview there. But I do know that Ruth has put her PowerPoint on the Padlet, so you can go and look at her slides. And there is also a couple of brochures there about the centre and also about the verse novel resource. So everything you need um, to explore the resources Sally has suggested is actually there on the Padlet. And I know Ruth will be disappointed that she's not been able to join us on the screen. She was so beautifully prepared and had everything ready to show us. And it's really just been an internet connection issue that's caused her not to be able to be here. She's actually gone now, even though she was with us for a little while. Um, so I know, Kat, that you also had uh, uh, something to do with the resource. Would you like to say anything at all about it, seeing you've got this opportunity? But I know this is not prepared. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I think Sally probably covered a lot of it. Um, so yes, we, we each, we, I mean, we didn't all read all of the books, but you'll, you'll get a bit of a sense for what the books are because we did that annotated um, spiel about each of the books and yeah so that you can get a back bit of background and then go hunt your books out um, I just I'm thrilled that they're all in one place that you know like I said you know initially kids and even like adults would 
not know what verse novel was, what, what a verse novel was, but now not only can they know, they're getting more familiar, but they're actually so accessible. And I know I've shared links on different chats on Twitter at different times, and now I know there's American librarians. Why don't we have this over here? So it's really kind of exciting to have been involved with something that now around the world they're looking at thinking, wow, what a brilliant resource. And I think, yeah, it was a, a long job, like it was this, um, you know, long, long project, and, but I'm just so glad that we did stick with it um, mm. throughout the different things because I think it's a resource that will, like, like Sally said, continue to grow and to change and I think it'll get that love for verse novels out there, make them so much more accessible for readers, um, but yes, continue to, to develop as we add things into it, so yeah. And you. I can I mean, say, Ruth, oh. put, Ruth is the who has dropped out, did mm. an amazing job with that way um, production. Like, it just is so professional. Like, she has done a beautiful job with it. And it's such a shame she didn't get that opportunity to also get here and share what she has prepared. But, yeah, it, it looks awesome. Because at one stage it was actually an Excel spreadsheet, yeah. <laughs> and then a Word document, <laughs> and that just and that just confused. And it was I set the spreadsheet up, but it was really bad. <laughs> it just didn't work at all. <laughs> well, it grew. It just was the project that grew. Yeah. Now you've done you've done an amazing job, and and all power to all of you. I am so sorry Ruth uh, couldn't make it in, but we'll thank her in absentia, even though she hasn't managed to make it here, and we'll continue to promote it the association with our members too to make sure that those people in school libraries are, are very aware of it and I'm sure that Ty is busy tweeting about it as we speak. So let's just see what we can do to finish up here. I'm very aware we did ask for questions. Oh, Ty has said correct. There was one question, I'm just scrolling back because I think there was a question for you Zana and we didn't get to ask you it. So, I, I saw it, I've got it, do you want me to, shall I read it out? Yes, here it is. Would you like to answer that very long and lovely question? If you would like to read it, that would be great. <laughs> sure. So the question was, is there a place for making students aware of the level of wordsmithing that the author creates? Or is it better to focus on the musicality of the words uh, that you mentioned you remember from where you were a child or something else or all of it? Um, I think, you know, there's absolutely a place for it. I think wordplay and wordsmithing is so useful for students, um, but also it's just so much fun. Like it really is just a delight to play with words um, and to really kind of, I, I feel that, you know, I, I chisel away at them um, and it's, it's amazing to see sentences um, as they were at the beginning and then what you can bring them down to. Um, but I also think that the more entries into the text, the better. So I would I would definitely go for all of it um, and look at as many aspects as, as you can. Um, I definitely would recommend, again, thesauruses. Um, and I use I use Power Thesaurus, which is the app I use, but there are, there are lots out there, um, and etymology apps. Um, they're such an amazing resource and it is really, really interesting. You know, I never thought I'd be <laughs> looking at an etymology app, but it's really interesting to see where a word comes from, but then, to use that kind of history of the word um, to find the perfect word for, for what you're trying to create and seeing the different the different places um, and the different proto-languages that words come from and the different iterations have gone through into to get into to our speech now is really exciting um, and kids really like it as well. Um, the other thing I really love doing 
um, and I think fits particularly well is is making up words. I mean, I make up words in in all my writing, but um, especially in the way of dog, I, because I was doing it from the dog's point of view. I got to make up a whole kind of vocabulary for the dog. Um, but you actually need a really um, a good understanding of language to uh, to make up words um, and to and it, and it's all about how the word feels. So when kids make up words, they're focusing without realising it on on that feeling of the words in your mouth and, and the rhythm of them and all of that. So um, I think sort of one of the most it's, it's what I always try to do in my workshops is you know for me I think the most powerful thing that you can give students is is finding a way of um, approaching writing with sort of I don't know, optimistic curiosity. So, you know, you, you remove the stakes and you enjoy it and you enjoy language and you enjoy just creating and imagining. Um, and I think first novels really let you do that. And I realised that was an incredibly long, <laughs> long answer. So there we go. <laughs> that was a fantastic answer and it was an excellent place for us to finish, I think. I actually have noticed that we've gone a little bit shorter than I thought we were going to. And I'm putting that down to the fact that I'm working with these amazing wordsmiths who know how to say everything in less time <laughs> and are very concise and considered in what they say. Um, so I'm going to wrap it all up because I think we've had an amazing afternoon. There, are, uh, please do before you all, before all of our speakers, before you do leave the event, make sure you look at the chat because there's lots and lots of more positive comments all, um, all coming up there now. Everyone is very, very happy. So thank you to everyone involved. You've all been amazing. I will email everybody um, from the event in relation to gathering feedback. Uh, and also with all of the resources from this afternoon, including the link to the Padlet, the recording of the session, and also a link to the podcast if you'd like to share that as well. Thank you again to all of our wonderful guest speakers. Thank you to everybody for supporting SLAB's professional learning program, and in particular the Reading Forum series, which is my special favourite of everything that we do. I do hope to see you all again soon, either online or in person. Stay well, everybody, and look after yourselves, and happy reading. Thanks, everyone. Good evening. <laughs> okay. Everyone's slowly leaving, and they're all writing lovely things to all of you. So I don't know whether you can all still hear me. I think you can. <laughs> they're all saying how wonderful you are. So thank you for that. Um, that really was fantastic. And thank you also for uh, um, stepping in and speaking about the centre like that. I know Ruth will appreciate that very much. Um, I'll be in touch with all of you. Enjoy your evening, hey? Thank, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank that was so enjoyable. Oh, it was so fascinating. Sorry, I feel like a complete... Hey. Uh, <laughs> Listening to you two go, my goodness. <laughs> I felt like that with, well, it, with all, all of you. you. So I was, I was taking notes. Uh, you're all fantastic. Oh, dear. And, and Ruth has just Ruth has just emailed her apologies. Oh, oh, Ruth. Ruth. I feel really, oh, yeah, so bad for her. Yeah. Yeah. She says that she hates technology. <laughs> yeah. She certainly well, can all yeah. agree with that. Yeah. But but she has put up a really, her PowerPoint is really good. Yeah. You know, got all the links. It's got all the background information. It walks people through. That's why I thought, oh, I could quickly put it up, and then I went, no. Nah. No, no, it's not, it's not worth trying. It's not worth trying. And look, our people are great. They will go off and they will have a look at all of that. Librarians are wonderful, this kind of thing. Mm, you are. You are. They, <laughs> they will go and have a look, and I'm sure they will. They're all very excited, as you can tell from the comments in the chat. So it's, it's just wonderful. 
Yeah. I will and let you all go and enjoy your buy some of your recommendations because um, mm. um, every, every month I buy a few, a few more that are from outside Australia because, you know, it is a bit of a hole in my reading. Although, yeah. um, I, I think it was fantastic actually to having Kelsey's perspective because we are all coming from the, so we, we, you know, we've got the bug kind of thing and to yeah. hear it from someone who is looking at it more objectively but equally passionately I think was really important. Yeah. So, and I also yeah. want to say that I didn't include your titles just because you were participating in this forum. <laughs> it was legitimately, <laughs> you know, selected um, yeah. because they were, they really had something of value. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Oh dear, so much love. All right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you everyone. Yeah.